Awesome. Well, good night, family. It's good to see you all. Thank you for braving another wonderful Georgia night filled with rain and wetness and probably a little sickness out there, too. Thank you for braving the elements to come be with the family, but also to be with Jesus. I get the joy of welcoming you guys and having in prayer. So I, I just I thought it'd be good to just go ahead and dive into prayer. That's okay with you? You guys okay with that? So we're just going to go ahead and start praying. All right. Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, thank you so much just for your love and the way that you lavish it on our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that we as a family under you, Lord, get to celebrate you during this season. In a time that is filled with so much of everything trying to crowd out uh, your message and your love. I, I'm grateful that with these people in this room, we can take moments to draw near to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace on our lives. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you're willing to draw near to us time and time again. Thank you for the way that you've shown your love, not just to us, but to everyone around us in such a great way. Thank you for the ways that you've blessed our lives so that we can bless others to just glimpse how it means to be like you and to be a part of you and to be under your, your, your branches and under your kingdom, dear Lord. I pray during this time, I know that there are people in this room with heavy hearts. I pray, God, that you can bring them a place of peace. I know that there are people in this room who are worried about work or worried about bills or something towards the end of the year. God, at this moment, I pray that you can give them a place that is preserved with your spirit so that they can be able to hear your word and commune with you. I ask, God, for those that are just thinking about family or maybe have lost a recent loved one, God, that you will fill them up at this time so that that place of hurt and pain can be subsided, at least for a moment, God, that they may commune with you and with one another during this time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear Lord. And I ask and pray, God, for any other areas that we may be just confounded in or, or walked in with a heavy heart, that we could have an opportunity to draw near to you and your word during this time, God. Thank you so much that you've given us your word and the ability to really be able to read and understand. It. And in the places we don't and the places we've struggled with for years, God, I pray for those revelations, maybe even some tonight that can be aha moments that put our lives into perspective and bring really truth to the world around us. We love you, dear Lord. We're grateful for one another. I pray, God, that we can express it. And I pray, God, that we can express our love for you. Thank you for this time that we get to draw near. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Come on in. Come on in. So, uh, you know, as life does. There was a plan. <laughs> we were going down that plan until about 8 o'clock today. And then I had a client call me and started to yell at me about a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't my, not my fault at all. And then I heard that that whole plan changed. So I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't know the full plan. <laughs> they were like, can you help with tonight? And I was like, yes, I can pray. 
So, what I will do now is to bring up somebody that does know more about that plan, and that is Lynn. She's also going to recap a little bit about some different announcements, some things from this past weekend, and then Mick's going to get up and preach the word, and help us draw near to the Lord, and help us continue in Genesis. I think that's that's the idea. Amen. So we're going to do that. Amen. This is when I wish I had a double portion of Jasmine's spirit, you know? Like, you know, Jasmine gets up here and does these announcements, and I'm always mesmerized. Like, I'll sign up for it. I don't care what it is, you know? I mean, it's like such a talent. But first of all, I just wanted for a second to take a second to thank Mary Lisa and Brittany for all the work for Sunday night. I don't know about you. I felt emotional Sunday night being with the whole family. I felt like I did Christmas dinner. Like, it was just wonderful. So thank you. For all the work you were do, you did, and just for everyone, bring in so abundant food. I mean, it was an amazing night together to just be together as family. Uh, second of all, I wanted to make sure, because we weren't in the worship service on Sunday, if you have not signed up for serving in the church, please do take the time tonight. Don't go to bed before doing it, because we really are trying... People are trying to pull this all together and get all the groups that need to be filled. We did it, had an amazing result. I mean, it was just so encouraging to see it for me, everyone's willing hearts. And we found that there were a lot of people that have wanted to serve and were like, I just haven't known how to do this, where to connect and how to do it. So we'll be doing that every year. But please, if you haven't signed up to serve, let's all just build together. That's really what it takes to build a strong church is all of us working together. Third of all, I wanted to let you know that, um, okay, what was my third announcement? I I wanted Peggy Beeman to get to share about a very special uh, event that we're going to be doing that I think is going to be amazing. And the only other thing I wanted to make sure we talked about is that we do have a Spanish service on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Any of you that have Latinos in the area, you know, everybody has a great Latino friend. If not, you're really, really missing out, you know? Um, please invite them to come join us. I think it's going to be a wonderful time. You know how it is. You get Latinos together, and the energy just kind of escalates. And so I just wanted to make sure we're all aware of that, that this service will be this Sunday at 4 o'clock. Peggy, did you? Yes. So if you have a friend, is the idea for us to come with them or just send them? Either. Come with them. You'll really enjoy it. But if you can't, for some reason, there will be, you know, Latinos kind of find each other and are like, ay, Dios mío, estás aquí, gracias, you know? So. Not tangential, but speaking of just kind of community, do we have translation services during our regular Sunday services if we have people in the different diverse languages? Good question. Yes. Gracias. Okay. They just heard about those talk go to the welcome desk and they can get a headset. This is part of the things that people volunteer for that we don't even know about, right? That is pretty amazing, the people that put in time to serve in ways that none of us ever even get a chance to thank them. So thank you for even knowing all that. Peggy, do you want to share? I I love this idea that Peggy's put together, and I'm so excited about it. So, Um, Hopefully I'll be able to do this quickly, but... um, I, when Mark and I moved over from Roswell to Marietta Square, um, I've been at North River for like 35, 40 years, like what? 
how long have we been around? <laughs> um, and in many different iterations, but we, Mark and I got married 12 years ago in Roswell, moved over here because we wanted to be part of Marietta Square, not just closer to the church, but um, in the community. And it, we felt like we could feel that feel. Our kids live over here, but we were like, there's more of a connection or something. And um, so I started doing, I, I make quilts, um, not blankets, but quilts. Mm -hmm. And um, and they're like modern, kind of cool improv quilts and stuff. And I'm at the farmer's market a lot. And so I've gotten to know a lot of people that way. Um, but like about a year ago, I guess, I was on Instagram and saw this thing up in Wisconsin at a muse textile museum that they did a pandemic quilt and they took, had people draw little squares and they just, of the, of their experiences in the last mm -hmm. couple of years, we've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And so good, bad, you know, I, I grew a garden, I got a puppy, I, you know, I lost someone, I had, you know, whatever. Um, just the range and so they had people send these things and they had them from all over the world and then they had a quilt exhibit So I went up I was brave and went up to the art museum on the square and I said I saw this thing and I think it would be really cool for the community to kind of pull together and just really document what we've been through and um, they were like, yes, please. And so they contacted the history center on the square right by the tracks and then the root house. And we've been working on it for six or eight months now, just having meetings and stuff. And so this is kind of a, a really rough draft that I showed them just in my concept, what I saw up in Wisconsin. And like up on the top right here, that's actually our front window. <laughs> um, and we, a lot of you guys made the rainbows for your windows yeah. and stuff. And we, I made one out of sheer fabrics and hung it up there until the vaccine came out and then I took it down. But, um, but anyway, toilet paper, the coronavirus, you know, you get the idea. And then the log cabin is a traditional quilt block from the, like many, many years ago. And the red center um, signifies the hearth or the center of the home. And so what we're going to do with this project, it, it's going to be at the museum April 1st well, is when the exhibit opens. Wow. But we're going to have two quilting days up at the History Center, um, in, one in January and one in February. But we want to do one here also, January 14th. 14th on a Saturday. And maybe have two sessions where you could come in if you have a you know you or your mom or whatever you can draw a square you can help um sew we'll have some machines here you can bring your friends and uh, just kind of you know put our thoughts together and and then we'll have a quilt at the museum from wow. north river very cool. so and then i'm also the the stuff that puts the squares together is called sashing i'm giving you a little quilt lesson here <laughs> um and i'll do more of that that day but um I'm collecting scrubs. If anybody has scrubs or knows anybody, Lynn said she was just about to get rid of a bunch. And so we're going to cut these up and incorporate them in the quilts. So, so cool. anyway. And uh, is Alex in here? No, okay. I hope this thing's recording. But uh, but want to start off a little differently today. I know one thing, one practice that me and Ashley used to do when we were in Seattle helping out with the singles there is we would start off every singles devotional, every family group with good news sharing. 
And uh, when I tell you guys, it was so painfully awkward at first when we started doing it. Like, times we're like, all right, what's the good news in a Devo? And, like, we would just have to stand there like, we're going to wait until somebody shares, you know? But it was so cool because over time, obviously, a lot of it was God working. But a lot of it was just becoming more aware of throughout your week, throughout your day of, like, what are the good things that God's doing? You know, how is God working? And it was amazing how over the course of months and eventually years, it was like we had to time our good news sharing because people would go for so long. And so it's kind of a muscle we need to exercise, but I uh, would love to hear any good news amongst the family, any ways you've seen God uh, working recently. And I, I will stand here for as long as I <laughs> because I know I've had the opposite experience sometimes like to my shame where I've gone into a new job or workplace and I've been like man how do I let people know who I am and the longer I wait the harder it becomes you know and so I love that you just went in there from day one like my confidence is in God I want to let him work I'm just going to let people know who I am and that uh, you're already seeing you know beautiful uh, outcomes from that that's really really encouraging oh oh yeah Michael sorry so there were a couple of things. One is that um, uh, I have some students in, in uh, a grad program at my school, of a handful of uh, black students that are in a very competitive program, and they hit a wall. And so I reached out to a couple of brothers within our fellowship that also went to competitive grad programs and just asked, would you just be willing to have lunch 
with them? Mm. And the response was yes. One of those brothers is Dennis, so I'm going to hold my mm. yeah. Come yeah. on, Dennis. Um, <laughs> the, the, I can't even tell you how it encouraged the students where I went. Mm. They just set up this off-site time where they could just talk about the pressure that they felt. Mm. And, and I already know, I won't say the other brother's name, but Dennis is here. Dennis is very nurturing, so I already know that they're going to be inspired by that conversation. Mm. Um, second piece is that we, uh, my wife and I are going to be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. Come on, let's go. So this weekend we have a ton of friends and family that are coming in. Um, so I'm really excited just to be able to, it's like Christmas before Christmas. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool, Michael. Come on. Congratulations, guys. That's very awesome. Um, yeah, you went to, honestly, what I find to be, like, a very common solution in my life, and that's just ask Dennis, push Dennis into the situation. He's kind of the glue, you know, that faces a lot of situations, but I do know, like, obviously, I don't know much about education, but I do know that it seems like a lot of people drop out or, you know, programs or even of college when they kind of hit that stopping point, and sometimes there can be huge roadblocks of, like, how do I persevere through this, and I just don't have people to turn to or people who have been in this situation. So that is awesome. In 20 years, that's incredible. You guys have been such an inspirational uh, inspiration, Michael. I feel like Pedal, I mention your name pretty much every single midweek we have because you bring that fire. I love it. Just the most thoughtful responses. And Michael, just getting to know you and our, our men's group has been incredible. So respect you guys, respect your marriage, and uh, happy for you on 20 years. So... I am a therapist and I work from home. All of my clients are either in South Carolina or Seattle. And I've been doing that since 2019, actually. So uh, doing telehealth and then the COVID happened and it like kind of legitimized my business. Um, but I just have been feeling kind of like uh, just being at home all the time is kind of weird, you know, just like not social. And I think I'm realizing that I'm like more of a extrovert than I give myself credit for. So I started looking for co-working spaces and I came across the space that's like owned by women, only for women. Um, it's in Buckhead. It's called Eleanor's Place. Jasmine has come with me a couple times, which has been really cool. But I met this really neat girl. I've met a couple of girls um, just being there, but one of which she's from Seattle. And um, we just started talking today and she totally, you know, was just like asking a ton of questions about like God and faith and some of the challenging questions about God of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just how I just told her about, you know, some of the things that we went through when we lost our daughter and just how kind of my Bible study and mixed Bible study of like the problem of evil is really what helped me through that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyway, she's also got a one year old. She's, you know, just. I'm super excited about her, so um, yeah, she's been really cool. Awesome, yeah. awesome. And what's her name? Her name is Jolie, sorry. Jolie, <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. No, it's been so cool, and I feel like such a noticeable difference when you go into Eleanor's place. Like, Ash, like, at least two or three times will FaceTime me, just so excited about, like, work or just being like, I'll get a FaceTime and be like, yeah, what's up, you know? And she's like, just checking in, you know, I want to see how your day is going. I'm like, man, you are on 10 right now, and I love it. And I know how encouraged she is going with you too, Jazz. Always loves it. So, yeah. Go, put that dream on the shelf for like 
maybe nine years. Mm. And then in 2020, I finally was able to go back to school. So I'm so excited. I even took Troy to school, Brookdale School for Spiritual. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> finally, so you, in 2020, I started my classes. And in that year of my classes, I met Raven in class, but like didn't meet her. I just remember I think talking to her like one time because she lost her family member. <coughs> but we didn't become friends. And then the next semester, we ended up in a different class together. And then two weeks before class, we're like, okay, we're going to study together. So we started com- becoming friends. And in the midst of that, I, was, I took this entrance exam for this to, to like uh, apply to nursing school. Had trouble with that, so had to transfer to a different school and apply to nursing school the first time. Didn't get in. Devastated. And then I applied to nursing school a second time. I didn't get in. All the while building a friendship with Raven. Spent, and then Raven starts studying the Bible. And in the midst of studying the Bible, the second time I heard that I didn't make it back into nursing, into nursing school. And then Raven gets baptized October 15th. And again, like, I know that she wants to be a nurse, and I want to be a nurse. <laughs> and second time of getting denied. So the day that I got the second denial, I remember... I was driving to meet a sister, and in God's grace, she was she's a nurse, so she was able to like comfort me and talk me through it. But I remember I parked the car, and I just felt this thing in my heart, like just ask him like for an opportunity, ask him for a chance to get in this program. So mm-hmm. it's funny because today I found that prayer. I actually wrote it down as a God, like please still make a way for me in this mm-hmm. program in January. And it seems so impossible at that moment. I'm like. I got denied, like, January, that was in September, like, January is just a few months, like, there's no way. So I was like, you know what? And I asked those people that I texted, I said, just pray for me, for for God to open the door in January. So went on vacation to Mexico, it was very helpful because I was, like, grieving that. And then came back, and this brother at church came up to me, he's like, I'm so sorry you didn't get into nursing school. Have you considered this program? And this program is, like, three hours away. You know, and I was like, sure, I'll consider it. Because I had been praying, like, God, help me to be open to whatever opportunities come. So I was like, okay, I'll consider it. So I get on it, and I call Raven. I say, Raven, you have to apply to this program. Because we can do it together. We can drop it. And I, I lay out this whole, like, plan of how it's going to work. And Raven was like, okay, I'll apply. So she applies. I, I get, you have to get accepted into the school first. I get accepted into the school. And... So, so that you can apply for the program. And Raven doesn't get accepted for another two or three weeks. And the deadline to apply for the nursing program was on November 1st. And this is October 27th. And she hasn't gotten her letter that she got admitted into the school. And I'm like, because I knew that this dream was like tied to Raven. I was like, I know I can surrender. But Raven doesn't go, it's fine. But I was like, God, this would be so great for her to go. So I said, we have got to call them and like get everyone we can so you can like, get admitted. So I'm on the phone like like with like seven or eight people <laughs> on October 27th like, oh, and Ra- I, with all her credentials, I have everything. Okay. So <laughs> even her social, like, you know, like, like, so I talked to so many people and even one lady was like, I just spoke to you like five But what do you know, that night, Raven gets her acceptance yeah. letter. So Raven overnight application, all is well. And October 15th, Raven gets into the program. And, like, and then I'm like, October 15th, I don't hear back. 
So what's the thing? I don't hear by. Eighteenth, I don't hear by. What is happening? I'm like, and then eventually in October nineteenth, November nineteenth, I get in. Together, and I'm just so blown away by the way that God writes a story. Like even in the midst of the waiting, getting that twice, Raven becoming Christian, I never knew that God was writing this epic story of like. You're gonna meet this girl. She's gonna become a disciple, and you guys are gonna do this program together. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this program, I would do it. I just wish that we're doing it without mm-hmm. like God putting Raven and I to do this. So mm-hmm. I'm so I just I'm so blown away by nice. what God has done. Oh, that is so great. <laughs> Yeah, I know when we got together with you guys and you told that story, I didn't know any of the background, and I was just blown away. You know, it's just so cool how perfect God's timing is, you know, and just how he brought it together. And now you guys are going to be there at the same school, same time, to help support and encourage each other, which is awesome. Um, so we'll do one more. Yeah, Mike. So Mike and Diane Johnson, we're kind of new to this group, right? But um, we're actually celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. Oh. Monday. And 39 years of a really happy marriage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I still feel like the luckiest guy in the world. <laughs> I won't tell you what year was the bad year. Well, I'll say we, you know, celebrating 40 years of marriage, and she'll always say, for the first 39 were the hardest years. been so devoted to the group, you know, and have just really hit the ground running. And 40 years is no joke. Stories like that about your dad, you know, just gives me so much faith for 
from my parents. I love stories like that. And uh, I don't know if you'll find two bigger fans of, of Liz and Max than me, actually. We love them. They're awesome couples, so not surprised they're over there serving and helping people in Cambodia. That's awesome. All right, well, we will dive into uh, Genesis 8. And little disclaimer uh, today. So uh, originally, it was going to be Greg Dillon doing the lesson. And this morning, he was like, hey, I'm feeling sick. And so um, this is definitely not a very well-prepped lesson. Uh, it'll be shorter because of that, which I know is an answer prayer for many of you. Um, so we will dive right into uh, Genesis 8. Just a little recap uh, from what we talked about last time in Genesis 7. We really spent most of the time just talking about the intrinsic value of non-human creation. In Genesis 7 and Genesis 8, you see over and over and over again this emphasis on the animals that God uh, is protecting and wants to, you know, save and preserve. And we talked about Genesis 1, how, you know, animals by themselves and plants by themselves before humans were created were good in God's sight. And that after humans were created, all of it together was very good in God's sight. Now, I know that that's something that I can definitely overlook uh, throughout most of my uh, walk with God. Like, had no ecological ethic when it comes to Christianity. And so we had a very, very good discussion about that. But we will pick up in uh, Genesis 8. Can I have somebody please read the entire chapter? We volunteers. I saw Dennis smirk as soon as I said that. But go ahead. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days, Noah opened the window that he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could not could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth, so it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in his beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds that, and everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar, an altar to the Lord 
and taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, dry and day and night, I will never cease. Awesome. Thanks so much, Debbie. Really appreciate that. I know it's a lot of text. And just to kind of summarize the two things we're going to be talking about, there's a million directions you could go, tons of details we could get into. We're going to talk about the fact that, number one, this chapter points to a type of recreation. And then, number two, we're going to talk a little bit about what this shows us about the character of God. First of all, in terms of the recreation, uh, we need to understand this. The whole flood is a kind of undoing and type of recreation. Uh, in verse 11, we see him talk about the great deep and the floodgates opening. And this is calling back to Genesis 1, where God kind of withholds the waters and holds them back. And it's this idea, at least a lot, a lot of commentators point to, that uh, God is always in control of holding things back. That without God, there is this chaos that is ready to just unleash, but it's God's power that holds it back. And at this moment, he says, all right, I'm going to hold back and I'm going to let the flood waters fall. In chapter 8, if you really compare, we don't have a whiteboard, but if you map out the days of creation in Genesis 1 to what happens here and everything happens, other than the fourth day, you see an almost exact uh, recreation of those days of creation here. Uh, you also see the wind and the spirit. Uh, the same word here that's used in Genesis 1 where God's spirit hovered over the waters. You see the spirit blow away the waters. Again, the important thing here is, is the theological point. That, this is not, that there's not just parallels between here and Genesis 1, but that God's making a really clear statement that this is a type of recreation going back to Genesis 1. I'm starting over with Noah. I'm starting over with this remnant of animals, and I'm going to bring something great out of it. There's tons of symbolism in here. You see the number 7 all over the place. I know a lot of us probably know that there's tons of significance in the number 7. Uh, seven days, uh, there's seven pairs of clean animals uh, the seventh month, the ark rested on the mountains, and uh, this was by far the most holy month. There was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement. All that occurs in the seventh month for Israel. Additionally, there's 40 days of rain, and this is very symbolic of what? What did Israel do for 40 years? Wandered in the desert, right? It's, it's this idea of exodus, you know, and judgment that's falling upon them. And then in verse 8.13, you see this idea of it being the first, the first day of the first month of the 601st year of Noah's life. God is trying to point to the fact that, hey, this is going back to the beginning again. And there's all sorts of symbolism throughout here. Uh, again, this is, not, this is just to say that this is a lot more than a flood that's happening. There is a ton of theological significance packed into this idea of recreation. But more than anything, what I want to talk about tonight is what this reveals about the character of God. As important as it is for us to focus on aspects like Noah's obedience, which we talked a little bit about last time, uh, and these different things where we can want to take away practically, right? What does this text mean for me? A lot of times we actually need to start, start by asking, what does this text say about God? I don't know about you guys, but even when I read the Old Testament, all of a sudden I could just read it through such an individualistic lens that it's like I'm trying to pick out, you know, golden little nuggets I can apply to my life rather than thinking first and foremost, what does this say about God? Our lens always needs to be, first, what does this text say about God? Second, what does it mean for us communally? And then thirdly and finally, what does it mean for me as an individual? 
The text was never meant to be read by a bunch of individual people doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. It's meant to tell us about who this God is, about who we're called to be as a community, and about who, and lastly, we're called to be as individuals. God's commandments are inseparable and totally dependent on who God is. It's why the Bible starts off with an entire book of Genesis that's just narrative, and the whole first part of Exodus is too, before God ever introduces the law and the commands. And we can learn a lot about the character of God from chapter 8. He vows right here never again to do something like the flood, even though humans are inherently, inherently rebellious. And he explicitly states that he will not do this again to humans or animals, which really goes back to a lot of what we talked about in our human creation last time. And then he vows to once again provide blessing for the earth. While these verses tell us many things about the character of God, there are two characteristics that really stick out to me. One is the fact that God is self-limiting, and two is the fact that he takes the route of suffering for the sake of others, which we can summarize as him being self-sacrificial. So this idea of God being self-limiting, he, choose to limit, he chooses to limit his divine freedom and power. By promising to never again uh, unleash a flood, God is saying, I'm taking this option off the table. Never again will I do something like this. Oftentimes when we think of an abstract view of, of what is God, what are some of the first qualities for you guys that come to mind? You know, when you just think about God is a, is a you know, big picture abstract idea, what are some of the qualities that come to mind? Omnipotent, big, huge, <laughs> yeah, patient, patient. Powerful. powerful, caring, caring. Uh, kind, kind. Mm-hmm. awesome, gentle, gentle. Loves. wellspring, wellspring. all-defining, I knew you'd come up with something deep. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm like, all defining. I don't know if I've ever heard that term before. I'm like, working in Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know, uh, uh, you know, a couple of these ideas kind of, I know for a lot of us, kind of myself included, like, all powerful is one of the first things that come to mind. Om- omnipotent, kind of these big picture of, like, God is so powerful. And, uh, and choosing to create free agents. God opts to limit his own control. He chooses to do this for the possibility that we could experience genuine love, partnership, and a true covenant with him. Because without free will, none of these things are possible. But what do we mean when we say that God is all-powerful? There's a lot of different answers to this question. Uh, Some of the like hardline, reformed, Calvinist-type people will say that power equals control. And so all-powerful means that God predestines everything that ever happens in this earth. There's a lot of problems with that view, though, right? Because there's a lot of things that we know that happen that God says are explicitly against his will. And so it's kind of this nonsensical of, wait, God predestined me to do it, but I'm still held responsible for it. You know, that doesn't make much sense. And so just want to expose that idea because a lot of times we, too, can think that way, that power equals control. But God is saying here, he's showing us here that, yes, I am all-powerful. I'm the creator of this world, but power for me doesn't always equal control. In fact, I give up power so that I can have a genuine relationship with you. Others kind of fall more into the camp that I think I fall into, and there's a lot of views in between. But God is all-powerful means that he's the original creator of all things, that he will ensure his story ends how he wants it to end, and that he will bring about his ends by his own means, which is an important point. 
that there's much more that he works around in this world that goes against his will, right? There's tons of stuff that happens because we have free will that God says, man, I do not like that. I do not approve of that. That is not my will, but I'm still going to try and bring the best out of what is happening. God is more powerful than any king or ruler. Uh, Obviously, there's no president or person in political power that has any power compared to God. And yet amongst the most powerful people that we think of in our society, some of the things that I know we see people use power is power can be abused. It can be misused. And people even fight to the point of death to retain and expand their power. Yet look at this all-powerful God. He says, I am choosing to limit myself. And what do you guys think that says about how we are to, how we are to follow our God? He takes certain options completely off the table, saying that he will never do that again. He chooses to create a world where he surrenders control for the sake of genuine dignity and personhood of all of us sitting here in this room and everyone that's ever been created. He limits his control over people so that love can actually exist. God is all-powerful, yet he's also self-limiting. Secondly, we see that God takes the route of suffering for the sake of others. In verse 21, it says, even though the inclinations of their heart are evil. Up to this point in the narrative, God has experienced tremendous, tremendous pain and grief. Seeing his creation not only rebel against him, but then seeing it devolve into murder, into mass murder, into just absolute chaos and rebellion. And the crazy thing is that this isn't even, in some ways, as bad as it gets. In a couple chapters in, in, in Genesis 11, we'll see this unified rebellion against God on almost a global scale that God has to break up. But what's interesting is he doesn't use the same means to break it up. He follows through on his promise. And he says, I promised I'm not going to use the nuclear option again, so I'm not. I'm going to break it up by different means. He comes up with an alternative way to diffuse the rebellion that he sees in the coming chapters. And oftentimes, I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, I can kind of isolate God's suffering to the cross, right? When I think of suffering, I think of the cross as we should, right? That's the climax of God entering this world, becoming human, being nailed to a cross. However, we also see from the beginning pages of Genesis that God willingly takes the route of suffering for the sake of relationship. He says that this project I started, these humans, they will grieve me. The inclinations of their heart are evil, and yet I'm sticking with them. I'm sticking with them. That is so powerful, I read this book called The Suffering of God by this guy named Terrence Frething, and uh, he talked about, he just did analysis of the Old Testament, talked about how important our metaphors are, and he analyzed just this idea of God's suffering in just the Old Testament alone, and it blew my mind how much it was all over the place. I think it's on us as Christians to make sure that we don't isolate this characteristic of God just to Jesus or just to, you know, the cross, but that we see it throughout Scripture, that God takes on suffering for the sake of relationship and the sake of love. This concept of suffering for the the sake of others, self-sacrifice, should resonate deeply with those of us that have made Jesus Lord of our lives. This is a dominant characteristic of Jesus' life, and as we know, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So it shouldn't surprise us as it pops up all over the Old Testament. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that this theme of self-sacrifice or suffering for the sake of others is a theme that we really need to be emphasizing today in our church and in our our family groups. We have so many amazing examples of this embodied self-sacrificial lifestyle, not only in North River, but in this community group in particular. You know, even I just think about the Wilsons, you know, through the whole 
Sunday thing. It was incredible. It was like 10 times what I was expecting. I don't know why in my mind I just pictured it being so much more flat, food not as good, not as many people. And I walked in. I'm like, this is amazing. This is incredible music going. It was awesome. They had us over, you know, for dinner. Uh, you know, you guys are just doing so much. And there's so many people we could go around the room and share in the six months we've been here about amazing ways that people have welcomed us and sacrificed their time, their energy, just done whatever they could to make us feel loved. And we are so grateful for that. When I studied the Bible 12 years ago, I just remember being so skeptical of the people that studied the Bible with me, you know? Like, they would stay up late. I remember there'd be, you know, this one brother, his name was Oni, and every single study, I kid you not, he would be falling asleep, you know? Like, I'd be sharing my heart out, and he was just, he was this chemistry major, he was in graduate school, super smart, but this brother was tired, and I'm like, man, he's out here still, it's late, We're, you know? I didn't find it offensive at all, I was like, man, these, these brothers really uh, love me and are pouring into me. And I remember after getting baptized thinking, all right, the jig will be up pretty soon. You know, I'll see that like all they'll, they'll totally kind of forget about me. And it just wasn't like that. You know, and not to say that I haven't been disappointed or hurt in the church and not to say that I haven't disappointed or hurt others. Of course I have. But I have been amazed consistently over the 12 years, all the places I've lived, the different <laughs> sister churches I've visited, how many amazing people have embodied this characteristic of self-sacrifice. But can I keep it real for a moment, too? All right. <laughs> no, as a, uh, I do feel like in this post-COVID world, I think that there's been large segments of the church that have grown really comfortable, which is not really reflecting this characteristic of self-sacrifice. I think that these muscles of being willing to sacrifice and suffer for one another have really atrophied. And not just not in this church, but we stay in touch with a couple of churches. We were in a different, you know, church uh, before this. And it just felt like, wow, there's really, as people are sort of coming back, mm -hmm. there was a lot of people that sort of never really came back. And I think got really comfortable with the routines of, I'm in my own zone, I'm doing my own thing. And it just sort of has stayed that way. It was hard to understand when we were in Charleston. It was so much of it was the young families that didn't come back to church. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful with age, but we had some old people in that fellowship, like some people that were advanced in age who came back, were eager to serve, give, and it was like all the 20s and 30s that were the most like, I don't, should we come back? No, we're not. And the sad thing about it was when we would have these conversations with people about, like, hey, you know, it's been a while, it's been a year, year and a half, here's kind of the science and data. So often when, when people came back, it was frustration with the church, it was timing, it was I've got too much on my plate, but it never started off with man, I really wish I could be there to serve and love and encourage my brothers and sisters, but these are the reasons I can't be. It was all just kind of focused on me, my needs, this is what we have, and it was, it was just discouraging because it felt like, man, the meetings of the body are just, you know, it's one way that we are able to show our self-sacrificial love for one another. It's not the end-all, be-all, midweeks, church services, it's not the end-all, be-all, but it does indicate what's important to us. I may be wrong, but my guess is that if we're consistently unwilling to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters in the small things, we probably wouldn't die for each other. And that might sound extreme. That might sound extreme. When I typed that, I was like, whoa, what, what am I typing? But then I realized, wait a second. <laughs> Isn't that the standard that Jesus gave us? Didn't he look at his disciples and say, as I love you, so you must love one another? It sounds crazy because it is crazy. It's a crazy standard. 
And of course, Jesus is the standard. As the church, we're imperfect. We're never going to model it perfectly by any means. But my question is, in regard to our love for one another, our willingness to sacrifice to build one another up in this family, are we even aiming for the biblical standard anymore? Or have we slowly kind of adjusted our standard to one that basically says, give however much or however little you want, either is kind of fine. But I bet none of us, when we were drawn to that type of expectation when we studied the Bible, none of us were drawn to a watered-down version of discipleship. You know, that wasn't the what we're like, yeah, I want to give up everything, kind of hang around and, and not really change my life that much. If the only sacrifices we consistently make are for our blood families and a close group of friends, whether in the church or outside the church, I think Jesus would say, do not even the pagans do that. How is my body, how is my church any different? in the world. I want to qualify this by saying we all have different seasons in life. Graduate school, night shifts at work, sicknesses, children's births, sick and dying family members, so many different things that come up where there are very legitimate reasons why we may not be able to be present and connected to the body as we'd like for a season or two. Additionally, this does not mean that our capacity and responsibilities don't change. And no, it's Abba calling. (laughs) Additionally, though, this does not mean that our capacity and responsibilities don't change to a degree with marriage and family, right? Even the Bible itself acknowledges that our interests are divided once we get married. Mm -hmm. But divided interests are different than consumed interests, right? And the Bible does not say that we will be consumed by our marriages and also realize that in the name of serving God, many parents have neglected their families and kids, and that is a real danger. Even people I've talked to in our fellowship, parents and kids, you know, have said, man, I wish that I could do things differently. Mm. I really, my family had to suffer because I I was doing so much that I didn't give my family the proper attention, Mm. and that is not the goal either. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the pendulum can swing so much to the other side that uh, in some cases, it can feel like it's almost a blatant idolatry of families that just kind of goes unchallenged. But we take these incredibly blessed, incredible blessings that God has given us, and we just turn inward and focus on ourselves. And that is not healthy or godly either. Individually and collectively, we have to consistently ask ourselves, are we living lives that reflect a spirit-empowered willingness to suffer for others? And I'm speaking from experience as someone who has been on the other side as a disciple multiple times. Disconnected, disgruntled, self-focused, and I'm trying to tell you, it ain't it. It's not where you want to be. It is not encouraging. And as somebody that naturally struggles with resentment, criticalness, judgmentalness, it is just amplified when I'm disconnected and I'm self-focused and I'm not trying to focus on others. Many of those same comforts become a prison that weaken us and make even the slightest inconvenience so painful and almost unbearable, right? Like, how many of us have experienced that? Something that, you know, when we were given a servant, that <coughs> we're not thrown off by that curveball that later on when we're more self-focused, it's like, whoa, you want me to do show up 15 minutes early for what? <laughs> no, no chance, I'm not doing that. And I'm speaking to someone not shouting at people from a place of self-righteousness, and I really hope it doesn't come across that way. I'm speaking as someone who has been there at various times in my walk with God. I'm speaking as someone who is incredibly concerned that many of our fellowship, particularly among my generation, 
are headed down a path that looks less and less Christ-like. Mm. The God who created us, who called us to follow and walk with, who we strive to emulate as much as we can through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this God from the opening pages of Genesis to the closing pages of Revelation is defined by his willingness to take the route of suffering and self-sacrifice for the sake of relationship and love for others. We've got a choice that we see over and over again in the Bible. We can either participate in the fullness of life and a depth of love that comes only through a God-like spirit of self-sacrifice for the good of others, or we can choose the path of self-focus, comfort, and ease. But that path is not without a cost. To close, I want to read one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. It really resonates, especially in the post-COVID world. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. <coughs> Isn't that true? Oh, man. Oh. Dogs. <laughs> dog. He goes on to say, you know, he's talking about your heart. Wrap it carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Mm-hmm. But in that casket, safe, dark, mm-hmm. motionless, yep. airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, mm-hmm. impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Yeah. Man, that it chills just reading that every time. Yeah. Just want to close by saying that the God that has chosen to continue on with his good creation is a God who says, I know that I will grieve. I know that I will suffer. And yet it is so worth it because I love my sons, my daughters, my non-human creation in this world. And I have not given up on them. With that being said, it's already eight. If you want to close it for discussion, uh, or open it up for discussion, we'll be, I think, pretty brief. And if anyone has to go for kids or whatever, can uh, do that as well. Thank you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Awesome. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of others, like you know, as a as a as a fellowship for, for much longer than I have, and when I think about like, man, what's it going to be like twenty years from now, thirty years from now, like what will I still be like learning? Um, I think I'm one of the things that's that I'm starting to realize is that uh, I'm I'm never going to be capable of having my focus. In every area at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you know, I may you know, like I'm out. It's like it's it's like okay, I got this over here, but then it's like, oh, but what about that over there? And it's mm-hmm. like you know, like that we're. I feel like we're just always gonna be <coughs> growing or focusing in one area, but then there'll be another season where God's gonna be like, hey, I need to bring your attention back over here because now it's the season to like focus in and you know grow some more in that area. So it's uh, it's ultimately it's encouraging because I'm like this like it, it takes a lot of the pressure off because because sometimes I'm convicted by the stuff like like 
like, man, am I ever going to get this right? No, never. Right, never. <laughs> never, never going to get it all the way right at the same time. So, you know, um, I don't know if that was just on my heart I wanted to share. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And I think, you know, even that, that point about, like, Jesus is the perfect example. Like, we're the imperfect reflection, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about even the difference between imitation versus reflection. And this person was making the point that imitation implies that you can kind of do everything that that person does. And with God, with Jesus, like... He's like, I don't know if that's the healthiest metaphor. Like, reflection is probably better because we do it so imperfectly. And I was like, yeah, I kind of do agree with that. Like, Jesus is the standard, but we are going to be such a mess along the way. But I hope that, I know for me, you know, speaking from experience, when I studied the Bible, I didn't come with a Christian background. Like, to me, the things that are challenging for some people, like baptism, wasn't challenging. It was like, yep, this is pretty straightforward, say it out, cool. Um, it was the relationship and the depth of love that people have and the commitment to one another that shocked me and was the by far the most challenging part, but I think by far the most rewarding part. And so I really hope that there is a, a fellowship of churches and a congregation uh, that we really strive to uh, you know, hold on to that and, and continue to just maintain high standards for our interpersonal relationships and connection and community. Uh, it seems like it could be easy to lose. I do think it's, it's a very important one in this area, but just in other areas as well, because when you think about it, a church can be either a really great thing or a really terrible thing. Because if we all agree together to have a lower standard, mm-hmm. we can convince each other that we're okay. Mm-hmm. In a way that I can do that myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really powerful how mm-hmm. that fellowship can work for God's purposes or can actually work against his purposes. Mm-hmm. So I'm very glad to hear you talk about things like that. I think it's very important that we're always keeping our eyes on what is the actual standard mm-hmm. that Jesus has as opposed to what we all kind of agreed on in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. And uh, I know I've been kind of throwing this way for a while and not knowing how to really bring it up. I almost want to shrink back from talking about it um, because it's a bit uncomfortable and a bit weird, you know. But And it's not even really, like, I feel like you see kind of all the same things on Wednesday, so it's probably not even meant for this group as much as it's meant for, you know, more of the people that just checked out. And I'm just not, you know, but I think our question is, like, well, do we, like, try and hold some sort of standard, or do we just say, like, yeah, that's that's fine, and that's normal? I think kind of the longer we've gone on, like, not talking about it, the more that it can feel like normal, and that's the expectation. And, you know, I don't know what other people that have moved in the group recently feel like, but I know when I see, like, Sunday, I'm like, this is the group? This is Marietta Square? Wow. Like, this is, like five times the size I thought it was, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. which it was That's awesome true. on Sunday, but yeah. I also say it's not that the go every Sunday or every Wednesday is 100% attended. It's not about that, but it's just yeah. about cultivating hearts where we Variety. grow to God and yeah. we sacrifice mm-hmm. to each other and say, hey, yeah. these certain things are important. Yeah, Jen. Yeah, I think just that point about being self-sacrificial and long-suffering, uh, I forget where I heard it. I thought it was C.S. Lewis. Um, but he made a point that the key characteristic of Christians, other than kind of words from Judas being the doctrinal pieces, but the key like character characteristic of Christians is that culture of personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you also point to even coming out of COVID is that long suffering piece that exacerbated probably cracks that were already in some folks' foundation of ah well no that gives me a reason not to go. Um, mm-hmm. But the area I've seen it is people whenever there's scarcity or fear they mm-hmm. tend to look inward. 
my gosh, I'll be unclean for an ungodly amount of time toward the teaching. Um, but we see people do it in all kinds of other ways, right? Is um, People got fearful, and so there was racism and prejudice that came out of people coming from China. Coronavirus, horrible thing to say. But we saw this fear come out. There's a scarcity of space. Um, but I think as Christians, it's so important when we're talking about that long suffering and self-sacrificial, is the first question I ask somebody if I see from the side plan or we're having a conversation, it's like, what are you afraid of? What is it you so afraid is going to be taken from you? Um, is it your safety? Is it your sense of entitlement that I deserve to have X, Y, Z kind of lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Even going back to what you were talking about last week and how are we protecting the earth? Well, I deserve to be able to, I don't know, have 100 acres of cleared land and burn it all to the ground. No, no. Right? But I think whatever we're feeling entitled to, oftentimes I find that there's a fear component, and that just leads kind of that selfishness. Mm-hmm. Trying to hoard on to our safety and not being willing to sacrifice. Say no, I'll, I'll put what I want and what I feel I deserve to the side for the better of my life. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying that. Yeah, yeah, Jared, I think that's a great point, man. It's just that like difference between the scarcity mindset and uh, you know mindset of plenty. And obviously, I think we live in a culture that really wants to hound us with fear and comp- you know all that sort of stuff. And it can be very easy to fall in that mindset <coughs> so many times. And so I think that's. A, Super helpful kind of paradigm to think about. Like, how do I view my life, my time, my relationships? Is it from like scarcity and fear and anxiety and needing to protect and guard and create boundaries that are so strict that can't be, you know? Or is it a life of more like fluidness, flexibility, and uh, just openness? So, yeah. Um, when you're talking about the self-sacrificial, um, I think um, what I have seen at our church, and I got baptized about six years ago, mm-hmm. almost seven years ago, I think. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but um, the church has changed a lot mm-hmm. as then when COVID started. Because I remember we'll come here on Wednesday and the priest would be speaking. Okay? And like relationships were like, Oh my goodness, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we got to where everybody got scared and everybody's trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'll say like if you just moved in like a year two or three, you don't really see what the church was. Mm-hmm. But another thing is there's a lot happening that people probably don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had somebody I have a lot of people coming to see me <clears throat> on my webpage who are church people. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep their um their names uh, discreet. But someone was telling me how they drove to Alabama to move a brother. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. Mm. That's what I remember about our church. Mm. And I don't see that anymore. Wow. But it's happening. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say that we keep praying mm-hmm. that God gives us what we had back. Yeah. Because whether you like it or not, some people have people who have died from what happened. Mm-hmm. And we are super scared. Mm-hmm. And some of us, I mean, personally, anybody who was, who probably died or anything happened mm-hmm. to them during COVID. So probably I'm not afraid of COVID or anything or all those things as some people are. But if we can have like, pray for people, thinking of self, being self-sacrificial, mm-hmm. pray for people and see, you know, what God is going to do. Because mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, what, 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 what God is going to do that matters. 
not really what we think should happen. But I'm so mm-hmm. glad you brought this up. This is a very sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about it. Fellowship mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. At the same time, things are happening that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And also, this church is one of the most amazing churches that I've been in. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been in the religious world a little bit mm-hmm. longer. And I've been in a church where all of a sudden it's like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I believe it's going to get better, and I believe things are happening. Like I said, mm-hmm. when the person says we moved somebody to Alabama, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. the church is still there. Mm-hmm. You know? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know. I thought it was gone. So let's keep praying. Mm-hmm. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep encouraging. Mm-hmm. Let's keep asking people that we are not seeing at church mm-hmm. to come in because, you know, mm-hmm. the changes that happen has really caused a lot of, you know, it's shaking us a little bit, mm-hmm. and everybody's is different from the others mm-hmm. and, you know mm-hmm. I cannot say why is it I'm coming in every Wednesday or I'm coming in on Wednesdays and some are not we should be asked questions so let's pray for them and try mm-hmm. fast yeah I, that's such a good point and I'm so glad you, you brought that up because I think it can't be so easy to limit what God is doing to whatever I see in my very limited narrow day to day yeah and I think there are a lot of people that have been super impacted I'm with you too on like I've been in the church 12 years now, and, like, not just here, but everywhere, like, have been blown away by the devotion, the love, um, and so in no way do I mean to speak from, like, a self-righteous point of view or anything like that. It's more of just a, a concern, because I do know a lot of people where it's not a fear thing of COVID. They might even, like, from the beginning have been like, no, COVID's not real, and yet, like, they don't pray, you know, like, people like that that I know that still, like, are uh, very not fearful of COVID, but still like not prioritizing. And I think your approach is the best. Pray about it, and then just love people, encourage them, uh, but still really try and hold out hope and have that vision of really mm-hmm. coming back together and keeping the standard high and asking those questions. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know like where North River was like in detail before I got here, mm-hmm. but I'll speak from my standpoint. Um, God really was only there in the religious community when I came to Like, I was everything that he just talked about. I was super self-reliant. Like, I didn't believe that God would put genuine, authentic Christ followers in my life that know that they are um, like they are imperfect, but they're willing to, like, walk alongside with you and not make you feel like you're less than but like you are equal, like you are a sister. Um, when I met Selena, the first time I came to North River was COVID year and I said I wasn't coming back. <laughs> the reason why I said I wasn't coming back is because I feel like a lot of times we, we just run away from different, right? Like we run yeah. away from the things that I always preach to my friends about. It's like, yeah, girl, go outside of the box. Like, get outside of your comfort zone. And I ran away from that. And I'm so thankful that Selena invited me to um, the book study, Winter of War in the Mind, that Lynn Ottenweller um, led. And when I got on there, like, every Sunday, it was very <laughs> 9 a.m., like, about 40 women from all over the world. Like, I was just so blown away. I was like, wait, y'all are not all in Atlanta? <laughs> like, y'all are from... Um, I have a very southern thick accent, by the way. <laughs> um, and so, like, that was just the beginning of, like, all of these things that God was doing in my life. Um, 
that same month, I found out that my mom had congestive heart failure. Mm. And it was something that, like, we knew something was not right with my mom's heart. But, like, when a doctor puts it in perspective for you, it's very scary. And my yeah. mom was 500 miles away. So, um, and she's, like, very, very close to me. Mm. So it was very hard to know, like, I didn't have control over that situation. But I had, like, these amazing women that, um, like, poured into me, poured so much love into me. Um, Tawina asked me, like, what type of snacks do you like? And I was like, huh? Because um, I was, like, a broken mess. Like, I was a broken mess. I didn't know. I'm like, oh, my God, my mom. You know, her heart beating is, like, 25%. Like, I just mm, don't know if wow. I'm going to have my mom. So, um, mm. I, next thing I do, like, like I talked to Tawina. Tawina was like, I left something at your doorstep. It was, like, snacks, flowers, mm. cards, Aww. gift cards. Mm. I'm like, what's that text? <laughs> I, like, I was trying to process it all. But I just say all that to say that, like, I'm so grateful that, I have become a part of North River regardless of what, you know, has happened before. And, like, I know we are all a work in progress. And, like, that's the beauty of God's story for us. And, like, I'm just super grateful. Um, and, yeah, that's my opinion. Yay! Yay! That's so encouraging to hear what you're saying. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's a good bright light. Even as I mentioned, our six months here have been incredible. Because so many people in this room that have just welcomed us with open arms, loved us, sacrificed for us. So I just don't want anything that wasn't like a come down, this church is the worst, and it's a restart, and nothing like that. But more just uh, really making sure we're holding to that self sacrificial standard. Uh, but Raven, I love that story. Tawina, I'm not surprised at all. That's what you did there. I know uh, Lynn loves up on your son, Ryan, so many people. Yeah, you know, we just stick with everything. I always talk about, you know, I was in 